Buju Ginoa. This is Charles Smith. I'm Ojibwe from the Fond du Lac Reservation, and you're listening to the Middle of the Res Road podcast. Buju Anishinaabe Doug. This is Joel Boje. I'm an Ojibwe from the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa Indians. This is in collaboration with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, a.k.a. MNTCC, the show that is designed to be the source of information about industry job opportunities, success stories, trainings, and upcoming projects for Native Americans. We also share about our culture and language because it is the foundation of our identities. Oh. We're here with Jennifer Smith, who works at Enbridge, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what she does there. Hey, Jennifer. Hi. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Very happy to be here. And uh, Jennifer Smith, and currently the Tribal Engagement Manager for Enbridge in Wisconsin. Uh, A little bit about me. I've been with Enbridge for going on 12 years this winter. And so um, I actually started with Enbridge in the Chicago area, which is where I was raised and and grew up um, with and um, started in community engagements in in public affairs. And so always been a a people person and love, um, you know, being able to be that contact in the communities. I've always considered myself kind of the internal advocate for our external stakeholders. And so um, started doing that, worked in Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Indiana, and then in, that was early, early 2012. And so then 2015 um, was asked to move up to Duluth, Minnesota. And so uh, with Enbridge, and that's my family and I, we moved up there and um, that's considered home now. So um, I have my husband and I have two kids. Um, My kids both spent the majority of their school age years and and, um, went to middle school, high school, and that's that's where we consider home. Um, Nearly, maybe about just under three years ago, though, I had an opportunity within Enbridge to uh, try a completely different role. And so I uh, relocated once again to Arkansas, and this time I was working on our gas transmission pipeline system. So up here in the Midwest, we have the liquid system. We're transporting oil, natural gas liquids. Down in this part of the system, um, it's purely natural gas. So like we're feeding the power plants, we're feeding the local distribution companies that then send the natural gas into homes. And so um, did that. And instead of being in public affairs, community engagement, I was actually in an operations role. So I was working with the teams, um, that maintain and operate those pipelines. It was an awesome opportunity. Um, but uh, a few months back, um, as I mentioned, Duluth is, Duluth is home. And really, um, my favorite part of being operations manager was that I still got to do stakeholder engagement. I still got to engage with the communities where we operate and where we have assets. Um, and I really um, I loved that. And so I wanted to get back to that, I wanted to get back home to Duluth, and so um, started talking back with our uh, public affairs leadership team, which again I'd worked for for eight years or so prior to the last position, and um, I was really fortunate to learn that this tribal manager, tribal engagement manager position, was opening up, and so I hopped on it right away. Um, you know, 
back in the day, there wasn't necessarily a dedicated tribal engagement team. You did community engagement. You were, you know, you engaged the, all the communities that were, were in your areas. Um, but a number of years ago, and I'm talking, you know, probably nine years ago or, or eight years ago or whatever about that time, um, you know, Enbridge um, formally acknowledge Enbridge has a long history of working with indigenous communities, both here in the U.S. as well as Canada. And um, so a number of years ago, they formalized that, put more resources to it, you know. Um, and so that's where the tribal engagement teams came to be. And I've always been what I call um, maybe tribal engagement parallel in the fact that we were all working in the same communities, right? And so um, in Wisconsin, I've always worked in Wisconsin, uh, other than this little stint that I did down south in community engagement, worked with the prior tribal engagement manager. Um, and, you know, I'm just really proud of, of Ambridge and the steps they've taken um, to recognize the tribes, the sovereign, sovereign nations that they are. Um, I have a passion for, for people, and I, again, I'll say it so many times, but I feel like I can be an internal advocate for our external communities. And, um, you know, seeing the Indigenous Peoples Policy that Enbridge has had now for a couple of years, as well as the Indigenous Reconciliation Action Plan that was put out last fall, um, just makes me really proud and, and want to be a part of that and, you know, learn more. I, I'll tell you, I, I know nothing about, you know, uh, not nothing, but I've got so much to learn about the bands here, the Indigenous Native culture, Native, you know, history. I mean, I've I learned, you know, pretty much what a lot of folks my age learned um, about Native culture and history back in school, and which was next to nothing. So um, I'm super excited to be in this role and to be here talking to you guys. This is also part of my my learning. Um, but um, yeah, so there's a little little bit about me. No, we appreciate having you on. And I was thinking when so you were talking about being in communications. How did you get into communications? Did you go to a university? Is this something that you always had a passion about? You know, I'll say I've always had a passion in working with people, but I actually have a pretty zigzag kind of history. I do have an undergrad. I have a bachelor's degree. It's actually in human resources. And so my first real job, what I'll call a real job, was uh, in a human resources department in a manufacturer um, on the south side of Chicago, and uh, <laughs> uh, and I loved it, right? And I, I did a lot of, a little bit of everything, but really one of my main roles in, in that was recruiting, was recruiting people. And so, and we had manufacturer, we had machine operators, we had electric, you know, electricians, and we also had a ton of engineers. That's where I, I say I learned to speak engineer. Um, and so, um, unfortunately, though, that company closed. They actually went bankrupt and... Um, and so I found myself, I did um, like staffing recruiting, like for staffing agencies for a little while, but then um, I ended up taking a position at a large nonprofit that serviced the city of Chicago and, and uh, surrounding um, suburbs in Cook County, um, managing energy projects. And so energy conservation, um, I don't know if you've heard of Low Income Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, um, we had a number of different programs and that's where I got introduced to the energy business 
Um, but it, my role in, in that was also working with the communities. In the communities, we had over 100 community partners of other nonprofits and churches and trying to do outreach and, and help you know, promote and, and get the program to the people that needed it most. And also part of that is, you know, government relations, community relations with your leaders. So um, 99% of the funding of our programs came from some form of government, whether it be federal, state, city, county. We did have some private dollars, but most of my programs were all um, were all grant funded. And so you need to have uh, spend a lot of time educating the people in positions of authority that we're granting these dollars to show them how is this impacting your constituents, your communities. And so that's that became the fa- my favorite part of the job there, which then kind of led me to, I, I ended up moving from Illinois to Northwest Indiana, um, which is not far from each other. There's, um, but I ended up moving within a half mile of an Enbridge facility. And so just being curious and nosy that I am, I was on the website one night and was learning about this organization that seemed to have the values that I that I live by. And, you know, they were doing good things. I actually, I see, we are a private company, publicly traded um, company, but what we're doing is we're also providing energy to millions of people across North America. And so I even saw this position as a public service position and, and something that I wanted to get into. So, so you talk the rest about of it's history. But so that was a long answer to your answer about my bachelor's degree. But I yeah. did end up going back and getting a master's at, at some point in MBA. But I just, like you I said, an MBA it's... too. Yeah. Dang. But... And so you go from grants and... I hate working with grants. I'll just be <laughs> flat out honest. It sucks. It's not fun. But, um, you know, it's rewarding too at the same time. It I mean, it is. it's a struggle and there's a, you know, give and take on working with grants. And then you go into a private company that's putting money into working with tribes now. How does that shift in your mind? Like, so I know it's not a wide open checkbook there's always budgets there's always we got x amount of dollars to work on working with tribes on tribal engagement how does that translate from working with grants to uh, in the private industry for you yeah well and that was one of the things that i i liked when i started looking at going to work for Enbridge too was the fact that we did have community investment program and they want to invest and support the communities um, where we where we have assets and where we're operating and so yes there are always budgets but I think similar to on the nonprofit side right you have to look for those opportunities where you're going to get the most bang for your buck right and you want to be able to make the biggest impact with what you have and so um, you know and I think that's where the engagement comes in too and the listening Right. We're not here to say you need this. You know, we're here to listen and and try and figure out and work together to say, okay, you know, we're hearing these needs. How can we work together? What can we do? You're exactly you know, you're exactly right. There are budgets and there, you know, um, but I think when you we work together, we can get creative and, and we can make the most impact. How do you believe is the most effective way to communicate all that stuff? 
like in uh, like in the position that you're in, what's the the most effective way to get the bang for your buck to reach the most people to get the most? Um, I mean, I think that's a question that I'm asking you guys and and all the <clears throat> stakeholders I'm meeting with. What is that 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 best way? Um, I. I my best way is I, I'm I'm a social media rat, so <laughs> that's <laughs> that's how I do it. Uh, I do it. I, I know I wouldn't want to go door to door with it. <laughs> you know that could take some time, but you know, like like you you said, you have these teams. Yeah. So that just where it kind of sparked my mind is like, well, well, what what is the team's best way to to yeah. um come up with a, a solid plan? And to to go forth with that with that plan of of doing that outreach work to get gather more info from these different communities. Yeah, and I I think you know um, from from the Enbridge perspective, it's kind of a little bit of all of the above approach, right? We we do try and use social media and make that an effective channel for sharing information, um, but we have community engagement teams on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And we have community ambassadors and liaisons that we work at that we work with who are living and you know working and breathing and are in these communities every day Um, we want to be engaging with the leaders um, your councils your tribal governing boards um, but we also just want to be meeting with the community and and you know your elders and and basically you know anybody that's going to listen yep (laughs) so with the information that you guys put out do you ever consider like information overload at this point. So what I'm thinking about is all the disinformation that people put out on social media, especially, and then trying to put a message out there saying, Hey, we're actually trying to do a service. And then how do you, how much information, uh, how much information do you plan on putting out? And then is it going to be like, piecemeal like a little by little or is it going to be a ton of information like that letter last week (laughs) (laughs) the letter is really interesting i read the letter thought it was uh, really it was just hitting the you know going right for it yeah and just putting the information out there this is what we're going to do and we're going to cross our fingers and say, you know, I hope this works. Well, so to your question in terms of how much or how little, I'll just say it depends, right? It depends on on what are we talking about? What are the audiences? What are we trying to get across? Um, the open letter to Bad River members, that is um, something that, one, I will tell you, we had, you know, heard that we needed to get more information out, out there, like, it wasn't whatever we were doing. It wasn't reaching the community, and that we needed to get something out there. But um, I think that open letter was really Embridge's way and attempt to be transparent in what has been transpiring. You know, over with the dispute with the Bad River over the the few parcels there where Line Five runs, and so um, you know. You read the letter. Um, we've gotten some good feedback from the letter. We've gotten some other feedback that, you know, maybe felt it was a little bit targeted. But really, for those of you that haven't read the letter, what it, it does, I mean, so Enbridge, our line five, it goes all the way back to 1953. And so the letter kind of includes a timeline of events and history of how Enbridge and, and Bad River Band 
um, government have worked together over the years. And then it also identifies, you know, um, I guess maybe it was around 2018 or, or so, um, kind of where it started to go south and where the dispute started coming and then we get into court. and um, But really, the overall letter is there to inform um, in response to people wanting to have that level of detail. Um, but then it's also to reiterate, like, we continue to offer to meet with the band. We want to settle. We want to come to an agreement. We feel that we can come to an agreement that will benefit both sides. And so by getting that information out there and, and reiterating, you know, that's that's really the goal of the letter. Um, with that, you know, and you talk about misinformation, there's been a lot of information out there on, on social media or through others that, you know, are talking about how unsafe Line 5 is. And, and there's uh, one particular uh, um, feature the meander, if, if people who are paying attention hear about that, and that's a meander of the Bad River itself uh, near the Line 5 pipeline and concerns about erosion. And so we have um, also been trying to work with the band for years on trying to do some sort of remediation or put some protection there at the meander so that nothing ever happens. Right now the line is safe, everything is fine. There are different things that we could do to even make it safer along the shoreline and, and to keep it that way. And so we've had over 12 proposals into the, the Bad River government that none of which have been approved to date. And so we also, you know, are asking, please work with us on that. But overall, the whole intent of the letter is we want to work with you and we wanted the community members to know that. Oh, it's such a unique, unique way of doing things and I give you guys credit for just throwing it out there and I'm sure it took a lot of planning saying this is this is the step we're going to write the letter we're going to get our team together we're going to plan the date that we're going to release this thing then we're going to release it how much like can you explain that process like did you walk right into this had the letter already been written and were you already moving in that direction or? The idea of a letter was percolating right when I started. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of planning. There's a lot of thought that goes into um, a letter like that because, um, again, the, the true intent is just reiterating we want to work together. And so we're not, you know, the letter wasn't, wasn't there to meant to tr- trigger anyone or, or anything like that, but we heard that, community needed facts needed you know more information more detail and so that that was a way that we thought that would be a good way to share it it is on social media it's being mailed and you're gonna they're gonna start in the communities uh up in ashland county there they're gonna start seeing we're even putting it in the paper so so um with that letter there's a number on there that people can call to gather more information also right um, we always are available at EmbridgeNWI at Enbridge.com. So Enbridge in Wisconsin at Enbridge.com. But in the email address, it's actually 
just WI, uh, Enbridge in WI at Enbridge.com. And we do have on Enbridge.com, there is a, a, a phone number that people can call to if they don't have access. And, to and I just think that's that's like a very stand-up thing to do is is to, to work with individuals that don't really understand it or not educated about it. It's like you want to get educated about exactly what we're doing and how we're doing things. It's like we're exactly. going to be open, you know, that door is going to be open for you. Yeah. It's yeah. like... And that I really respect that a lot. Like that's a that's a very stand up thing to do. You know, that's again, that's um, Ambridge, and I think it falls into the core values of respect and inclusion is trying to be transparent. And that's one way that you guys are reaching out to people. Yep, testing the waters. Yeah. No, I really like the. I don't know. I kind of looked at it as a social experiment. I just, I was like, I want to see how this plays out. I want to see how it works and. I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated when somebody takes a takes a huge shot like that. I just want to see what happens. I don't really. I'm already, you know, we're on the podcast and doing work, and I kind of just wanted to see how it played out. And I like how social media affects everything, and it's really interesting. I'm just fascinated by it. So you guys seeing positive and not so positive feedback? Yeah, I would say from my perspective, mostly more positive than not. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's part of you know my fascination just working with people. Right, you never know how the, what the reaction is going to be. Did Bad River respond or any of the members respond uh, directly to us? Not that I'm aware of. Such an interesting interesting thing to watch. I mean, I. Because, you know, Line 3 came through Fond du Lac and paid pretty close attention to it. And I don't know. I I just didn't want the Line 3 to go further south of us to impact more watersheds in our ceded territories. And then have a whole bunch of friends that worked on the pipeline. And, and you know, it kind of divided our community and it divided our community, and that's never a good thing. But then coming back together and trying to share as much good information and with each other as much as we could, and hope hopefully, I I do really believe now, it seems like it's better than than it was. I mean, we can come together again, and before people were fractured, families were fractured, because um, it was a serious issue. You know. People went out to protest pipelines out in the Dakotas, and so people took it really seriously. And I, I get that, you know, there, there's concern about the water, and that's that's a huge thing. Everybody should be concerned about the water. Absolutely. And I know you guys are as concerned about the water as everybody else. You guys got to drink the water just like Well, us. and that's that's where I think we are aligned. Yeah. Is, you're exactly right, and we want to be able to do everything to keep the pipeline safe. Line three case, the safest thing to do was just replace it. Yeah, you know, here we've we've want to put more protections on near the meander. Um, you know, we've got our regular maintenance and operations that are going on, but but absolutely, we work here, we live here too, and you know, um, I know tribal communities are your own sovereign nations. At the same time, though communities everybody has their own priorities and thoughts and 
I like that I knew people working on the pipeline. I don't know. It made me feel better, like, knowing that Joel was out there, knowing that some of my other friends were out there. It just made me feel better knowing that, hey, I actually know people that are working on this thing. Yeah. And I don't know. What do you think? I I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did, like, to be able to have the visual and, and to be able to say something. Like, and, and it's like, that was like the band's protection. That's what I felt like when I was out there was the band's protection. Cause it's like, I grew up here on Fond du Lac. So it's like, I've always been in, in the woods or doing something or even living out, living way out in the sticks out there in uh, East Pine. So it's like, it felt good to be able to be a part of that. It really did. And, and, um, I would say that um, I was kind of honored. I was honored to be the the eyes for the elders on the tribe and the eyes for the people I knew and the people that are from this tribe because that's um, what what it took. It's like took for, you know, like a lot of people to step up and and take those positions and to be able to say something and and when they see something and, and to be taken seriously. That 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 was the most uh, influential thing I think. Even even my you know like even my foreman and bosses, everybody would always make sure say something if you see something, and and they took that very seriously, and that made me feel good. Like made me feel I was in the right position, I was in the right spot. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, and that was Enbridge's commitment. So the Line Three replacement project, right? We made a commitment. That company made a commitment to cultural do cultural surveys along the entire route right not just the areas that uh on that were on reservation and um that commitment you know with the indigenous tribal monitors i mean we we still have that today and and we're always looking for you know we're going to be hosting trainings in the future and and trying to get more monitors on board because like you said i mean to be there and be a part of it, and it's good education, but then also your friends and families, you're a direct link. And yep. so, you know, kind of, there's just Jennifer sp- talking, not Enbridge, but, um, you know, there's fear in the unknown, right? And so the more that we can educate and, and also, um, you know, get folks more familiar with it, that, that helps. But then, too, when, you know, thinking about, going back to the Indigenous Reconciliation Plan or the IRAP as we call it, like what's one thing that a company can do to help advance reconciliation, to help, you know, help the folks, the tribal community members, and it's that jobs training, it's that getting them to work, it's involving them, right? And so it's just multiple benefits. I love that you worked on Line 3. Yeah, awesome. I, I, I loved it too. It, it taught me a lot about the environmental side of it. So it's like now it's like every job that I've went to ever since then, it's like I'm always looking for the environmental side of things. So that really taught me a lot of a lot of lessons and a lot of uh, um, things to look for, like unsafe things. It's like, and I still carry that with me today. And it's like I'm not even close to that. It's like, but I'm still working construction. So it's like I still know what to look for and still know how to. Um, help uh, protect the land and the water and that's what it's about you know and and my bosses appreciate that they they really do you know like even though you know i work work for an excavation company now it's like 
they appreciate that I know about what um, like the environmental side of things. So that's that's a really good uh, asset to have out there on, on any work site, I would say. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, on the flip side for our crews, having cultural monitors out there, having, you know, folks with with your perspective that helps, that helps us too. It helps our crews and, and hopefully everybody's learning then. I'm going to be ignorant here because I don't know much about natural gas. So you did natural gas down in Arkansas. How much is it, is the issue as polarized as a pipeline up in the midwest here down in arkansas uh in the area that i was at no can it be polarized? it can i mean again you know people are are people and communities differ all over the place so it just happened to be where where i was at it was not polarizing um but i'm sure you know our natural gas system transports about over 20 percent of the natural gas that's consumed in the u.s so it's it traverses from texas all the way up to um, new england you know um and so uh, i would say probably up there more when you get closer into new york pennsylvania some of those areas there's a little more polarization um, in terms of the pipelines and you've also got natural gas production up there um but um in, in terms of the, the area of the system that I was at, it was pretty well recognized that, you know, this pipeline is feeding the power plants that are, you know, we can go into our house every day and turn that light on or turn our air conditioning on if we have it because it's really hot down there. Um, you know, um, and then actually down there, a lot of the, a lot of the cities and the little municipalities, they actually run the utilities. So a lot of them are connected to the system. So they have that familiarity. And then when you're, like, how much stress was there being in your your role in Arkansas? Like well, compared I, so, to now. Yeah, well, I don't. I or don't, before. I, think I would call it apples and oranges, but I'm going to tell you there's a whole lot of stress when you're responsible for keeping that pipe safe, keeping the gas in the pipe, and keeping the pipe flowing so that, you know, folks can get the power and, and uh, heat and everything that they need. So you remember Jennifer now when you turn your heat on this uh, next month here? <laughs> thank you, Jennifer. Appreciate Don't you. Don't thank me. No. <laughs> no, you thank all the teams, all the teams <laughs> she, that are actually uh, maintaining and operating those You're pipelines. part of that 20% <laughs> she's talking about, you know. <laughs> so that's in the south. Up here we primarily have the liquid lines. But, again, we're, we're feeding the refineries. On line five uh, we have liquefied natural gas which is going to the um the companies that you know that process and make the propane and distribute propane you know in wisconsin and michigan and beyond so um i don't know a lot of people up here including myself i rely on propane so what do you have i got propane really you don't cut wood anymore no <laughs> that you still no, cut what wood. they so what they did on Fond du Lac, and for whatever reason, majority of the homes on Fond du Lac, any of the homes that had uh, wood stoves, they had to take out the wood stoves for insurance policies. Mm. You know, majority of the insurance policies did not recognize, did not, didn't want homes to have wood stoves up here anymore. Only if you're a fire warden, 
That's really? only yeah. Only way you could have a wood stove is if you were a fire warden or it was outside of your house. See, this is why we need somebody here fact checking us. <laughs> we're not talking out of our. <laughs> well, that my grandpa was the last <laughs> one on <laughs> my res to have one because he was the fire warden. So I, I, I would. That must be all the way up then. Yeah, Minnesota in general. Because in Fond du Lac, we can like my house had a wood stove before I moved in there. They took it out before I moved in. Tell every house up on my res was too. They all had wood stoves, and we'd all share wood and cut wood. I remember that. I was pretty young. I had to stack wood all morning. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a job, you know. But but it was uh, it kept us warm. I think it was cheap too. <laughs> I think it was cheaper too. I think it might have been cheaper, we had to but stack my br- grandpa's wood for him all the time. My mom still has a wood stove. Probably one of the only only houses up there that has a wood stove still. I was gonna say we used to we used to my dad would make us all chop wood, but it was because he didn't want it to use the the gas. The gas, the yeah, that's, that's he wanted exactly to. it. And <laughs> the, the labor at home to. Yeah, so <laughs> we we come from a different age. Imagine asking our kids to do that now. Right. <laughs> I don't think they Top would. <laughs> so Enbridge doesn't just work on natural gas. I'm learning, and doesn't just work on pipelines. Guys, got some cool projects out there we do some of the other cool projects that you're doing um alternative energy and has that progressed at all in the last couple of months what you guys are doing yeah is there any project happening in the midwest um so first i'll say that yes we've got a pretty large renewable energy business unit or or arm of of ambridge um, some of the larger projects that they've been doing are offshore wind farms, actually over in Europe. But here in the Midwest, though, we have been um, putting solar farms and uh, solar panels um, near some of our pump stations. Um, and I think we just had one in central Wisconsin, I think, that just came online. But so, um, you know, one of the things, and I'm going to take it back to the IRAP, to the Indigenous Reconciliation uh, plan because that's I think a huge opportunity that we have to work with our our tribes in Wisconsin is um, you know when we when we're building or developing those types of projects there's opportunity uh, whether it's partnership or or ownership or or what have you um, that we could provide and help the tribes maybe start to green some of their electricity their 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 grid right um Right now, um, the, the solar farms that we have, they're helping us reduce our carbon footprint, right? They're, they're off taking some of the power that our pump station would be pulling from the grid, and they're generating it. So that that's, helps us with our environmental goals as well, sustainability goals. And I think there's a big opportunity for, for developing some partnerships with that arm of our business. Nice. Um, well, I had another question for you, like kind of about like how you got into your role and stuff like that. Say if um, someone was to come ask you how, how they could get a position such as yours, what would you tell them to do? Well, I always tell them to go to our website first yeah. and, and, and bridge.com, you know, and learn about our values, learn about what we do, what we've got going on. 
if there are any openings, that's where they're going to be posted. Um, but I can tell you, and, and again, I've worked all over the company. I mean, um, the folks that I've been fortunate enough to work with at Enbridge, they're all open to engaging and talking. And, um, you know, if there's real interest, I would say reach out, reach out to Enbridge. And, um, or if you know, if we have a liaison or a community ambassador in the area, and, and let's talk, you know, um, especially, again, um, getting back to the Line 5 relocation project and some of the uh, indigenous monitoring, cultural monitoring training that, that we're going to be having. I mean, we're always looking for, for participants in those. And that Enbridge in WI at Enbridge.com uh, email address is another good way to email us. Let us know you're interested, you want to talk. I don't like how you said that, that. I liked your part of your story of how you got into Enbridge, that you checked out the values of the company. Because I'm learning how important that is. Look at the values of a company, see if they align with yours, see if you truly believe that they have these values, and and then go from there. And I, I mean, I've never done that before. You you know, you, you spend more of your life at work. If you're working full time, right, you're spending more of your life at work. And at least for me, if I'm going to be doing something, it's something that, that I need to believe in. And, you know, um, I need to enjoy the people that I work with. We're all headed working towards common goals. So that's always something that I just, I'd like to look at. Yeah, I got to go on the Kalamazoo trip. Joel was supposed to go too. Yeah. For the podcast working but the kalamazoo trip blew my mind but that that tour the river the way it looks now i i want to go back there and fish some one of these days but it's beautiful it is a beautiful river and how much work was put into that river to fix the mistake and i mean it's just it's better than i really truly believe that you know the goal of the company when when i heard it on the tour we want to leave it better than what happened and I'm, than before. And I'm pretty sure just being around there, doing the tour and, and going down the river myself and seeing it, it looks pristine. I mean, it's a super beautiful place. And hopefully one day I get to go back there. Hopefully Joel gets to go back. Yeah. Yeah, Come yeah. Actually, go there. <clears throat> You'd uh, probably want me to go swimming with you there, but no, not this time. <laughs> the, the river is so clear. I mean, I, I'm used to our river right here. It, it has it's like a root beer colored St. Louis River, and I was kind of expecting that. And then when I seen the river, and you could clear, see clear, yeah, all the way across, and see down, see, see the, the rocks, bottom. see the bottom, and I was just truly amazed by it. And never seen anything like it. Yeah, I think, you know, that was that was an awful incident and, and the company though stepped up right away and acknowledged it and recognized and they said, We're gonna make this better than it was and so um, you know, not only you get to go and see it, but then when you talk to the people that live there that that live through it, not only the Embridge folks that responded and and have have worked there but community members i think there's you know there's nothing better than going right to the source and asking them about their experience i think what really blew my mind was how much how long people that work there 
worked on the incident, um, stayed in that, was it like two years? Well, I would say the probably the biggest, um, the largest amount of people was probably the first few years. But I mean, you know, first of all, that area we had, we had a pipeline maintenance shop there and, and we still do. Um, and so, yeah, probably the bulk of the, the people were the there cars. for the first couple of years, but there were people there for many, many years yeah. afterwards making sure that. No, I seen the pictures of the cars in that um, staging area where everybody parked and to imagine that's what it work looked like day in, day out. And hearing some of the stories firsthand of how much stress, because you could still kind of see the stress on the, on the people that were delivering the information, like having to relive, Hey, I did this for two years. I did this for a number of years and you could still see it on, see how much it affected people. And yeah. And I mean, and that's something that, that we as a company reflect on every year, you know, every year where we have videos and, and materials and where we all, we do our safety moments. We have what we call foundational stories and that is one so that, you know, we also, since that time, was it 13 years now or something, there's been a lot of people left and there's been a lot of new people, right? And we want to make sure that everybody remembers and recognizes it because nobody wants that to happen again. And we actually each new, our employees, I think we still do this, but we get a ring. They call it the Enbridge ring. And it's actually, it's just a little ring of pipe from that six pipeline that that ruptured there and you get that in the orientation and they tell you what happened and you know so so again nobody ever wanted it to happen in the first place but that was very well put that was like i i i, I got nothing on that one like that's uh it's emotional for me too and i wasn't there i wasn't there i started after the initial um release but I was based in that area that, that responded to that. And so for a number of years, I, I, I was there. Most of the cleanup was done. But like, like you said, when you're, when you're talking to the people and, you know, you see it. No, I, I kind of felt for the, you know, as soon as I heard some of the personal stories behind it and then some of the knowing that it affected all those communities over there and then knowing that the people that worked on it knowing that they had their own stories, knowing that they had to give up a lot of time with their families. I mean, the guy was a that one one of those stories hearing how long they were away from their families. I mean, that's that's tough. I mean, months at a time, yeah. a lot of them. And hearing that, you know, the human aspect of what was sacrificed and what was worked on to fix fix it. I mean, it don't if you if you don't ask questions or if you don't have an opportunity to hear about it then you don't you just don't know and I was just oblivious to it up to that point because I never heard any of the stories never bothered to research any of it never bothered to check any of it oh and seeing it firsthand not firsthand but seeing it you know from somebody who was there some from somebody who put a lot of time in and then seeing the actual place and seeing some of the stories from community members. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to go. No, I'm, I'm happy that I got to go and 
I'm happy that I took the opportunity, even though I thought about checking out like a day before. I'm like, do I really want to go to Michigan? Who flies to Michigan? Yeah, who who does fly to Michigan? I, I don't get that. I, I drive to Michigan. You know, it's not. But that. it was on the other side, so. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> do you um, do you have any huge plans for the rest of the summer? Is there a rest of the summer? The fall. <laughs> yeah, it's the, no. the, the fall. There is, there, there's a lot of summer have, left, actually. There's still 85 like degrees. September and October, like in Minnesota. Well, you this know. is my favorite time of year, actually, that's coming up. You so. just never know what it's going to be yeah, in the, Minnesota. Yeah. The um, leaves probably won't change until December this year. <laughs> I'm you never know. September, I'm, September is the reason why I got my air conditioner. Otherwise, I would I was would make it through the summer and it would be just fine. And then September would hit, football season would start, and I would be sweating in my house, Ugh. just pouring sweat. And I'm like, I gotta get an air conditioner. And I actually I think I actually bought my first air conditioner in September because I couldn't stand it anymore. <laughs> it's something about the weather in Minnesota in September. You can never predict it. Yeah. I thought last year it was winter in September. It was pretty cold last year, I, yeah. I believe. Uh, you never know. You I, never I know. think I took my AC out of my window in September last year. <laughs> I think I might have too. Yeah. But then it was 90 degrees yesterday. I don't know. That's uh, so hot. I almost went and bought an air conditioner yesterday. So the house we're moving to Duluth now. We just moved in last week. No central air? Wow. No, no central air. Because it's like Probably usually like, maybe like one week you want it right our house earlier that we lived in didn't have it either probably the only house in duluth or duluth hermantown area that doesn't have central air no i'm telling you, this is the second one i've bought up here my first house when we lived here before going to arkansas didn't have central air what it, is it like down there it is hot 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 like we were hitting 100 degrees in may Oof. Yeah. Hum- humid. But it, like I bet 90 you it's like is humid. 95 is like average temperature July, you know. Dry June. heat or? We, we had a, uh, I went down there before with the move so we could move up. And like the whole week was over 100, like air, like temperature. And and it's humid. No, it's humid. There's very high humidity. You There's always a chance of rain. Oh, man. Like, like uh, I, I had a friend that I worked with, worked in Louisiana, and that's what he said. He was like, you, you, you ain't only got to worry about the weather. You got to worry about all the poisonous stuff at the same time. So, that too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I'm good. So, I would say there, Arkansas right? is a beautiful state. If you have a chance to visit um, northwest Arkansas, you've got the Ozark Mountains. Southwest Arkansas, you've got the Washita Mountains. Beautiful. But all their rivers and their lakes and things have snakes and there's lots of yeah don't crazy swim. critters out there don't that i'd never seen there. before <laughs> well i know oklahoma too like that yeah they said that they're gonna show us how to catfish with their feet uh, so what? yeah like, <laughs> I was, oh, like was it noodling, noodling That's yeah. What, yeah yeah and i so, was like no call me out <laughs> i was like i ain't jumping in there i'll watch you do it though <laughs> that's uh not nothing i want to get into right there i don't i can't do uh snake infested waters or fish infested waters i'm go- i'm good with my fishing pole up here in minnesota hey there's snapping turtles up here though yeah 
Yeah, they're more scared of you though. <laughs> like no, all this, most <laughs> most of the stuff up here is more scared of you. Um, I know we took a lot of your time, I but it's, it's super easy com- having a conversation with you, and uh, ho- hopefully, you know, once you really get acquainted with your job, figure out next steps and want you back on I yeah mean, this was a come, really good absolutely. conversation this has come, been a lot of fun come back and share that you know like absolutely jennifer and <laughs> jennifer smith and charles smith you know cousins <laughs> <laughs> distant relatives <laughs> Some, somewhere back <laughs> he said his grandpa was from down <laughs> was living in chicago well so there you go you my husband grew up in the chicago area yeah too, so, so that's, <laughs> you, never know. you never know there are a lot of smiths out there <laughs> well jennifer i appreciate you coming here no thank you i appreciate you asking me to be on and yeah yes. it's been a lot of fun it's been really nice to meet you guys very nice to meet you and just get a little part of your journey and where, where your life is at today and and i really admire the work that you are doing and I appreciate you coming on. I hope. I hope.